Mike, say Easter is right around the quarter. It's actually about five weeks away. But in honor of it, in honor of it, we wanted to take a little break from our normal series in Isaiah and spend about five weeks on the resurrection, looking at different aspects of it. And so I'm really excited about it because usually at this time of the year, you'll begin to see the History Channel and other TV stations talking about Jesus, who he was, what did he do, did he really exist, did he really rise from the dead. And so we're going to talk about all those things over the next few weeks. So hopefully you can make it every week. This week, the title of today's message is The Importance of the Resurrection of Jesus. So before we start, let's go ahead and let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for this day, that we can come and worship you and praise you for all that you've done. And I pray this morning as we look into your word, we would find just another reason to understand all that you've done for us and to praise you even more. And Lord God, to give our lives fully back to you for what you've done for us. So I pray, Lord, that you would speak to each and every person this morning and help them to understand the importance and the significance of the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we pray this in His name. Amen. All right. So open up your Bibles this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So as I mentioned, this time of the year we'll begin to see different people talking about who Jesus is and did He rise from the dead. And maybe you have those questions or had those questions at one time. And maybe you even ask yourself, how important is the resurrection? Is it important in regards to salvation? Is it a central doctrine of the Christian faith? Or is it debatable? Well, this morning I'm going to answer some of those questions. And so follow along with me as we read through this text. And we're going to do something a little different. Normally we go verse by verse and explaining each and every verse. But this morning we're kind of going to start from here and then springboard out into some other areas of the Scripture but then we'll come back and, and talk about different areas in chapter 15. Chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, by the way, is probably one of the, the best sections to read about the resurrection because it covers so much. And we'll actually be going through this section the next few weeks. But for this morning, we're going to look at verses 1 through 4 and then a few other ones. And again, the question is, what's so important about the resurrection? So let's... Before we start, let's go to verse 1, and we'll read through verses 1 through 4 before we answer that question. So the Apostle Paul writing, he says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. So right from the very beginning, I'm going to bring up our first point on why, what's so important about the resurrection. And verses 1 through 4 tell us this, that it is part of the gospel. When you think of the gospel, we tend to usually think of what Jesus came and died for our sins. And we sometimes can stop there. But a central point, according to, according to the Apostle Paul, is that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Paul is making it known to the believers what the gospel is and the gospel which he preaches. He says, this gospel that I preach to you, which I have also received, meaning he received it from the other disciples. And what is that gospel according to verse 2? Look at verse 2 again. He says, I preached to you unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as the first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day, according to, those scriptures, according to the Scriptures. So those three things make up the Gospel. Jesus died for our sins, Jesus was buried, and Jesus raised on the third day. That's why the resurrection, one reason... The resurrection is so important is because it is part of the gospel. It is central to the gospel, and it is a central doctrine of Christianity. Doctrine meaning those things that we believe. Some things are not so important. You know, we don't debate over. For example, should you be dunked in water or sprinkled with water when you're baptized? That can be a doctrine, but it's, it's not of first importance, like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That is central to Christianity, which is the second reason it is so important. It's central to the doctrine of Christianity. Look what the Apostle Paul says again in verse 4. He says it in verse 3 and verse 4. At the very end, he says, according to the Scriptures. He said Jesus died and was buried and rose again according to the Scriptures. What Scriptures is he talking about? Is he talking about the ones that we have in our hand, the Old and New Testament? Well, the New Testament wasn't written at the time that he said according to the scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament because the doctrine of the resurrection, the Apostle Paul is telling us, is predicted in the Old Testament. Now, it is not that you can point to one text in the Old Testament that's going to say Jesus is coming and he's going to die and he's going to be buried and he's going to be resurrected. If you could find that, show me, because I've actually tried to find it before. When I saw that, I'm like, oh, cool. Where is that verse in the Old Testament? Paul says it's Scripture, but I couldn't find it. Instead, what he's talking about is the larger context, the larger message of the Old Testament. You see, the language of the Old Testament often refers to the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus in indirect ways, in figurative ways. As you've been seeing as we've been going through Isaiah... Isaiah talks about stuff that is happening at his time, but he's also indirectly and figuratively talking about things in the future. And so that's how the writers of the New Testament will use when they say, hey, the scriptures said this back in the Old Testament. So Paul is telling us that the Old Testament talks about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And you know what? Jesus himself also held a Bible study where he walked through the entire Old Testament or probably different sections of the Old Testament and said these things as well. You remember to the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, but keep your finger in Corinthians because as I said, we're going to come back to that. In the Gospel of Luke, after Jesus has rose from the dead, he comes upon two people that are talking about everything that's happened back in Jerusalem around Jesus' death and burial and who they thought Jesus was and who he was going to be. And so Jesus comes upon them and says in verse 25 of Luke 24, he says this, And he said to them, O foolish men, 
and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets had spoken. So prophets meaning those in the scriptures of the day, which we now call the Old Testament. He says, all that the prophets have spoken, was it not necessary for Christ to suffer these things and to enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses, meaning the first five books of the Old Testament, then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus himself says, These scriptures in the Old Testament also allude to me about all these things that have just happened. A great example of how the New Testament writers interpreted the Old Testament in light of Jesus' coming can be found in Acts chapter 2. Turn there with me quickly. In Acts chapter 2, you will see the Apostle Peter referencing Old Testament three different times in his sermon to all the people as he's explaining Jesus' coming his dying, his burial, and resurrection. Uh, Look at starting in verse 24, Acts chapter 2, verse 24. And in your Bible, you probably have, as we'll read along, you'll see that some of the words are all caps. And depending on your translation, they'll usually tell you these are references to Old Testament uh, quotations. So that's how you know that he's talking about Scripture. So Acts chapter 2, verse 24 The Apostle Peter says, But God raised him up again, speaking of Jesus, obviously, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. And now he's going to quote an Old Testament scripture. For David says of him, this is King David, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted, Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades. He's talking about Jesus there. Nor allow your Holy One to understand decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, he continues, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us This day, meaning David's not talking about himself because he's dead. We can go check it out. Meaning he's talking about somebody else. He's talking about Jesus. That's Peter's inference. And so, verse 30, he says, Because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him, another Old Testament reference, God had sworn to him with an oath that seat, an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. And he was neither abandoned to Hades, another Old Testament reference, nor did his flesh suffer. This Jesus God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. So that's just an example of how the Apostle Paul speaks of Scripture in the Old Testament, prophesying about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus himself mentioning it to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then the apostle Peter actually using Old Testament scripture to show the people that, hey, everything that happened was predicted in the Old Testament. So why is it so, what's so important about the resurrection? Again, two, the first two points are this. Number one, it's part of our, the gospel. It's part of the gospel message. Number two, it's central doctrine of Christianity. As we see, the Old Testament predicted it. 
And Jesus himself also predicted his death, burial, and resurrection. And let me give you two examples of this in the Gospels. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. In Matthew 16, look at verses 21 through 23. Jesus says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. This is what Jesus was preaching. But Peter didn't understand it. Look at verse 22. Peter took, took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests, but men's. Peter demonstrated he didn't fully understand all that the Old Testament prophesied about the Messiah and Jesus correcting him. Could you imagine trying to rebuke God and then God calls you Satan? (laughs) Does anybody want that nickname? No. Peter gets it. So that's just one area where we see that Jesus was teaching his disciples, hey, this is what must happen. I have to go down to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and die, but I'm going to rise again. And just one more reference of Jesus preaching this in another area in the Gospel of Mark. Look at chapter 9, verse 31. Chapter 9, verse 31 says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will rise again three days later. But they did not understand this statement, and they were afraid to ask him. So again, the reason I bring that up is because I want, you, I want to show you how important the resurrection is to our belief. The Old Testament taught it. Jesus taught it himself. And as we've just seen in Acts, the Apostle Peter also believed it. And even in his letter in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 20 through 21, demonstrate that the disciples themselves taught this doctrine of resurrection. 1 Peter chapter 1. Just real quick. Look at verse 20. It says, For he has foreknown, for he was foreknown before the foundations of the world, but has appeared to us in these last days for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. So here we have all these independent sources telling us how important the resurrection is. And just remember, as we hold the Bible as just one book, right? But it's actually a collection of books. 27 different books in the New Testament comprise that one section of the New Testament. So they're all independent writings that are gathered together, and they all witness to this fact about the resurrection, of how important it is. So it's a central doctrine of Christianity. So again, why is it so important? It's part of the gospel, and it's a central doctrine of our faith. Not only that, Romans chapter 10, turn there with me, verses 6 6 through 11, reminds us that we must believe it. It's part of our confession of faith. Again, you can't just believe that Jesus died for you. You must believe that he rose again. Look at what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, looking at verses 6 through 11. He says this, But the righteousness 
based on faith, speaks as follows. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching. Now look at this, verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, and believe in your heart, what does it say? That God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is a central tenet. It is a central doctrine. It is a part of our confession of faith that we not only believe that Jesus came and died for our sins, but he also rose again. You must believe, I can't say it stressed enough, that Jesus rose again. That's how important it is to us. It's not just part of the gospel. It's not just a doctrine of Christianity. You must confess it and believe in your heart that it happened if you are to be saved. Maybe you knew that, or maybe you didn't know that. But guess what? Scripture says that has to be. And we'll look a little bit more about that and why that is. So, why is it so important? We've seen three so far. And I want to look at another one. The resurrection is important because it demonstrates the deity of Jesus Christ. It distinguishes Jesus from every other religious leader because every other religious leader is dead and never rose again. Jesus is the only one who claimed that he was going to rise again and did it. And I give you one example of this in the Gospel of John chapter 2 starting in verse 18. And in this section, if you remember, Jesus had just went to the temple and he started getting a little upset at the money changers there. And I think this is a section where he started turning over tables because everybody was selling doves at exorbitant prices and he got very upset at them. And they were like, who do you think you are coming into the temple and turning over the tables and basically trying to ruin the religious establishment of the day And look at what Jesus says here in verse 18. The Jews said to him, What sign do you show us? Do you show us as your authority for doing these things? Again, who do you think you are? And Jesus answers them and says this, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days. So they thought he was talking about the physical building. But the Apostle John writes, he says, Jesus answers them. Okay, verse 20. Then the Jews said, it took 46 years, to build, 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days. But he was speaking of the temple of his body. That's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, hey, you destroy me, this temple, and guess what? In three days, I'm going to raise it up. And then in verse 20, Two, it says, so when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scriptures and the word which Jesus had spoken. They remembered after the fact, John is putting a little commentary here on this section, that when Jesus actually wrote that they remember, he said he would do this. This demonstrates who he is. This demonstrates his deity. And that's just one section there. So again, what's so important about the resurrection? Number one, it's part of the gospel. Number two, it's a central doctrine of Christianity. Number three, it is a part of the confession of our faith. And number four, it demonstrates the deity of Jesus Christ. And number five, one of my favorites, 
it assures that there is a future resurrection. It assures that each and everybody that dies in Christ will live again. So go back to our text in 1 Corinthians now. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 23, where the Apostle Paul talks about this very point, this very fact, that Jesus' resurrection assures that everybody will rise again. Those who are in Christ will rise to eternal life, and those who are not in Christ into eternal judgment. Look at what it says. So he's, he's demonstrating it from a negative point of view. He says, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ is risen, because some people were questioning it. So he's arguing. He says, if, if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. Going on. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is also in vain. So he's saying, guess what? If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then nobody's going to rise. Not only that, all these things that he is saying, and by extension what I am saying, are worthless. And not only that, your faith in Jesus is worthless. That's what he's saying. Going on to verse 15. Moreover, we have even been found to be false witnesses of God because we testify against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. And then he's he's going on saying, hey, we're lying about who God is because we're telling you that he raised Jesus from the dead. But if he didn't raise Jesus from the dead, then we are all liars. We're all lying about it if there is no resurrection, he's saying. Moving on in verse 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless and you are still in your sins. So you're not forgiven because Christ's death meant nothing. He died and he's still in the grave and everything he said was an absolute lie, the Apostle Paul is saying. Verse 18. Then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. So he's saying the dead are dead. They're not going to rise again if Jesus hasn't risen. And because of that, he says, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. If our whole hope is on the resurrection of Jesus Christ and he did not raise from the dead, then every one of us, he's saying, and us by extension, are wasting our time. If you do not believe that Jesus raised, was risen from the dead, then you should leave right now from this room and stop wasting your time. That's basically what the Apostle Paul said. But he did rise from the dead, and so each and every other thing is true. Since the resurrection is true, Christ rose from the dead, and all who die in Christ will also rise. As a matter of fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 16 explains the ramifications of this truth. So turn there with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. So the Apostle Paul, in writing about those who have died in Christ, says this, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. So he's talking to the Christian church. He's saying, don't be uninformed about those who have died so that we will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Now, I want you to hear what he's saying. He's saying, hey, we don't grieve like those people who aren't believers and have no hope about a future resurrection. 
I don't want you to think that. Look at verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus Christ. You hear what he's saying? He's saying when Jesus comes back a second time, all of our family members, all of our friends who have died in Christ will rise again. That's going to be glorious. Reading on. He says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself, so here's what's going to happen. The Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we shall always be with the Lord. That is good news if you think about that. What does that mean for those of us that have lost family and friends? Is that they're going to rise up and we're going to like, I can picture myself hugging my dad and meeting the Lord again. Sorry. But that's the reality. So when our family dies, we don't grieve like we're never going to see him again. No, we are. Matter of fact, they're gonna, we're going to join them in meeting the Lord when he comes again. That is good news. That is the hope and the assurance of every believer to be reunited with family members and loved ones. And us, those of us that are, if we're here long enough, and I know it's sad to think about that some of us die, we're going to see each other again. And we get to rejoice with that truth. The assurance of the future resurrection is only because Christ rose again. If Christ did not rise again, then nobody's going to rise again. That's how important the resurrection is. Let's move on to my last point about how important the resurrection is. Why is it so important? It demonstrates that Jesus defeated death and canceled our debt. Look at back in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verses 50 through 57. He says this, Now I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. So he's speaking about what I just read in 1 Thessalonians. He's explaining it similarly to the Corinthians. He says, but I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will, re- will be raised imperishable, meaning they, they're never going to die again. right? And we will be changed. For this perishable, meaning our perishable bodies, will put on the imperishable, and the mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will put on the immortality, then will come about this saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ demonstrates that he defeated death because he rose again. He defeated it. 
Death can no, didn't hold Jesus, and it will no, not hold anybody else either. And he canceled our debt, meaning our, our debt that we owe to God to die for our sins has been paid in Jesus Christ. A matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul writes this about our debt. Colossians 2, look at verse 13 through 15. He says this. He says, When we were dead in our trespasses and sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us of our transgressions. So he's talking about when Jesus died, because look at what verse 14 says. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us. So it's like we have this long list of all the sins that we've committed. Some of us might be longer than others, right? I might have like a 10-volume encyclopedia of sins. But Jesus took all those. Look at what it says here, the Apostle Paul. Verse 14, having canceled out their certificate certificate of death consisting of decrees against us, which is hostile towards us, he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. When he had disarmed the rulers and authorities, he made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him. So he took our debt, died on the cross, and if he had just died and been left on the cross, then he really didn't win. The Apostle Paul is saying he disarmed Satan in all powers when he rose from the dead. That's what he's talking about there. So the resurrection demonstrates that Jesus defeated death and canceled our debt. That's how important the resurrection is. So just in recap, those, I want to point out those things one more time. What's so important about the resurrection? It's part of the gospel. It's a central doctrine of Christianity. It's part of the confession of faith. It demonstrates the deity of Christ. It assures that there is a future resurrection. And finally, it demonstrates Jesus defeated death and canceled our debt. Those are all great things to believe. But what should we do with that knowledge? It's one thing just to understand it, but do you really believe it? Well, I want to close with these three points of application. And two of them come from our text here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look at verse 58. Because Paul concludes this entire section of 1 Corinthians with this. Therefore, meaning because of all this. Therefore, my beloved brethren. So he's speaking specifically to the Christian church. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. So two things I want to point out here for each and every one of us who believe, believe these things. Number one, let nothing move you from your faith in Christ. That's what he's saying. Because these things are true, since these things are true, he says, be steadfast and immovable. And it's in reference to your belief in God. Steadfast literally means to be seated and therefore be settled. It means firmly sitting on something You're firmly sitting on it. You trust that thing that you're sitting on. And immovable means totally immobile and motionless. So you're sitting down and nothing is going to move me from this. And obviously, as I mentioned, he's talking about your faith. Because these things are true, since Jesus is God, since he rose from the dead, since you are going to live forever, let nothing shake your faith. No matter what comes, you're going to hold tight to that. 
Hold firm to that. Be immovable and steadfast. That's number one. The second thing he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. The second thing that we should do with this knowledge is continue to serve God in the church. Remember, he's talking to the church, so he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So whatever you do in the church, he's saying, it's going to have significance. Your service has eternal significance. So don't let frustrations or or momentary setbacks stop you from serving the Lord. If you've been in ministry for any time, you know it can be frustrating. It can be hard. It can be disappointing. And sometimes you can feel unappreciated by your fellow brothers and sisters. But guess what? You're not doing it for them. And if you're doing it for them, you're doing it for the wrong reason. Meaning if you're doing it just so that they can say, hey, you do a good job at your service. That's not what we do it for. We do it for the Lord. But he's saying always continually serve God because it's not in vain. There's eternal significance in what each and every one of us do for the Lord. What greater joy can we have as believers than serving one another within this church body specifically? We get to come here. We should look at we're going to encourage one another in our service. We get to strengthen one another in our service. We get to bear each other's burdens in our service to one another. We get to help each other grow in our faith until the Lord returns. That's how we should look at service for one another. And again, he's saying it has eternal significance. You never know what is going to happen to that person that you're ministering to in their life, how it will affect them. They may not show it now, but it may be later on down the road, a few years from now. And it could be just one thing that transforms our life that you said that you did because you were there for them, praying for them, serving them in any way that you can within this church. So my encouragement to each and every one of you this morning is to don't stop serving the Lord in this church. And if you're not serving the Lord and you have gifts, as Mike mentioned earlier, why are you not serving the Lord? What's keeping you back from serving God in some capacity within this church? You are called to do that. You're called to help to build the faith of each and every member in this church. So what do we do with this knowledge? Let nothing move you and continue to serve God in the church. And lastly, as we go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.18, in the face of death, comfort one another. Look at what the Apostle Paul said again after he was talking about the dead in Christ rising and how we're going to be caught up with the Lord in the air. Verse 18, I didn't read in 1 Thessalonians 4 because I wanted to read it at the end of this morning's sermon. It says, Therefore, right, because the dead in Christ will rise, because the Lord's coming back again, he says, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Guess what? Each and every one of us in this room is going to face death in some capacity, whether it is a loved one, whether it is a friend, or whether it's ourselves. In the face of death, the Apostle Paul is telling the church to comfort one another with the words that what's going to happen. Hey, guess what? If we die, we're going to live again. If you've lost a loved one, we comfort one another. Hey, guess what? We get to see them again. We're going to rejoice with them again. We're going to wrap our arms around them again. No other, let me say that again, that's not, that is a truth only for the believer, the Christian believer. Nobody else. Why? 
Because Jesus rose from the dead, that's why. And so comfort one another with those words. When that time comes, the scary thing and the reality is, and I've mentioned it a couple times now, is those that die without Christ. They will be raised, to re- they will rise again, but to eternal judgment. And those people you will not see, and they will not see you, and they will not see the Lord. Instead, they will be totally separated from the Lord for all eternity. And so we need to comfort those who don't know the Lord with that truth in love. And maybe that's you this morning as well. I want you to give you the opportunity as well. If that is you, if you were to die today and you did not know the Lord, you too will live forever. You don't just get annihilated in death as some cults believe. That, hey, if, uh, if it's a non-believer that dies, they just, they're annihilated. They just, like, poof, are gone. That's not what Scripture says. And so if that's you this morning, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't know the power of His resurrection, and maybe you don't believe in the resurrection, I want to tell you this morning to believe, to trust in the Lord, to take that step of faith and let Him show you how real He is. And so this morning as the band plays, or the worship team plays these last two songs, I would encourage you to come up and pray with somebody about that, if that's you. Even if you have questions, ask them about it. And even after, after the song, if you want to come up and pray, they'll be here as well. And for the rest of us, let's take comfort in what the Lord has done for us and let's celebrate and rejoice and worship Him because of the resurrection. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much once again for your word and for all that you've done for us. And we have that great assurance. It's not a hope that we wish is going to happen, but it's a hope that is assured because you've died for us, you were buried for us, and you rose again for us. And because of that, each and every one of us will rise again. Those of us who believe to eternal life, And unfortunately, Lord God, those who refuse to believe to eternal judgment. But I pray this morning that each person in this room will choose you and that they will see eternal life on the other side of death. And so we thank you for the work that you've done for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.